0: I've always loved church, which was convenient when I was a kid because most of my childhood was spent at 1119 West First Street. Yes, I still know the address of the church where I grew up. It housed the Centralia First Church of the Nazarene, and if the doors were open for any reason, the holes were there. We were there. I have many memories of worship, of being really, really bored, (laughs) and of playing and running around the building, much like the kiddos here at BLC do. I loved being at church, but it didn't take me long, as I grew, to discern that being there required modified behavior. As I've mentioned before, we had to dress differently. We had to wear our church clothes. Y'all know what church clothes are? Those special things that your mom buys for you that you're not to wear any place else other than church? And for us, until the early 90s, that meant the girls all had to wear dresses or skirts, and we also would need to modify our energy when we were little kids. We'd get in trouble for being rambunctious, especially in the sanctuary, because you know how God hates it when, God, when kids have fun, right? Am I right? Wrong. Sorry. That was a joke. That's wrong. God loves it when kids have fun. We could not say certain words or phrases in church. For example, we had to avoid saying, oh my gosh, because it sounded like, oh my G-O-D, right? That's a substitute, my dad used to say. He shouldn't say that, that's a substitute for the other. We also didn't talk about certain behaviors, like we didn't publicize that we watched an R-rated movie. You can never do that. Or that we listened to 93.3 rap music back in the day. Or we would never ever wear our Smells Like Teen Spirit t-shirt to youth group. Couldn't be that. By the time I was a teenager, I was an expert at what was expected of me at church. I knew all the right Sunday school answers and just how to conduct myself so as to appear the perfect church girl. That didn't mean that I did it very often, but I knew how. I still loved church. And I definitely, absolutely, without a doubt, love Jesus. But I wasn't holy myself when I was at 1119 West First Street, even for all of my healthy doses of rebellion. I remember stories of church folk as I grew up that hid their wine when the pastor came to visit and pretended that they did not prefer ACBC to hymns Many many definitely did not mention their tattoos, they had them carefully covered, and most certainly pretended that their marriages were perfect. Some had gone somewhere for nine months, sometime in their youth, and had come back empty-handed and hearted, and expected to never speak of it again. There were so many secrets and facades that have come from pretending to belong at church. Lord, forgive us. When Moses came down from the mountain the second time, because remember, he went, he went up before, and when he came back the first time, um, he, he dropped them in shock because the Israelites had crafted the golden calf to worship. They were done with waiting for God to tell them where to go and what to do. They were done meandering around they were done without, for, with, for not having answers. They were finished with all that stuff, all that mystery. They were done with it. They wanted to have something concrete, made of something they could touch. And so they made a golden calf. And yet even still, God forgave them and gave them another chance. Because newsflash, that is who God is and what God does. There is nothing that is unredeemable. Absolutely nothing. I wish there was as a human. I'm pretty judgmental, but not to God. There is no offense or mess up or mistake that is not subject fully to God's grace. And half the stuff that church people call mistakes are not. When God was just being God, and extended grace to the Israelites. Moses had a powerful encounter. And when one encounters God, y'all, their insides match their outsides. And God's love is reflected and embedded into them in such a way that it flows out. Have you ever seen that in someone? I do all the time, in many of you, And watch as God's glory and love pours out of you, children of God. Moses was not fundamentally changed after he saw God. He was revealed as a child of God, a holy conduit of love, just like y'all. Interestingly, but not surprisingly, the religious folk in his community were uncomfortable with this revealing of glory and grace. They did not like the way his face shone all the time. And so Moses covered his face, covering the signs of his encounter with God, covering the glory of the love that he experienced. Religion in the 14th century BCE, in the the late 1980s and today, unfortunately, tends to make people hide their true selves. But thankfully, God is not religion, and Jesus never pretended, not even for a second. Jesus was always radically himself. He was himself when he was born in a barn to an unwed mother he was himself when he toddled along with his parents who fled persecution as refugees. He was himself when he was baptized by his co- cousin John and the spirit descended like a dove. He was himself when he turned over the tables at the temple and when he allowed his feet to be washed with scandals- scandalously expensive perfume. He was himself up on the mountaintop, revealed in heavenly, supernatural glory, and fully himself when touching the untouchable and unclean and conversing with the rejected. Jesus was not full of contradictions. He was the fullness of life. The only thing he contradicted was the false dichotomy of either-or for himself and all humanity. He was both embedded, embodied, and divine embedded with a, with the love of God. He was beloved and detested. He was all this and more and Jesus did not choose to cover his face. He let it shine. And because he let it shine, he was murdered. Religion if left unchecked will murder the truth so we cannot put our hope in religion. We saw this very poignantly this week in the United Methodist Church as a very well-organized small group of delegates made a heartbreaking decision for an entire church, ensuring that they will lose a generation and doubling down on the pain and suffering of LGBTQ plus siblings. And that's not even the tip of the iceberg. That's not even the worst thing that the church has done. We could go on and on for hours. Religion has started wars, murdered, broken apart families, destroyed children's trust, compelled folk to hide their true selves, caused depression and self-harm, and so much more. It is not news that religion has gone off the rails in many ways. We see it waged in newspaper articles in the lives of our loved ones. We see it in the faces of people that we meet that say that they'll never darken the door of a church again. They've been too hurt. Somewhere along the line, it became best practice to pretend and to judge from good church girls not saying, oh my gosh, in their skirts, to parents feeling they had to reject their own children to belong in the fold. From genocide to quiet excommunications, all in the name of the one who came so that we could live our lives with faces unshrouded and hearts free in the spirit of God. Come, Lord Jesus, free your church. Thankfully, we gather here today as members of Burlington Lutheran Church not to be nourished by religion, but to be nourished by the grace of God. And that is where we put our trust. Even though we love this place, I love this church more than what is appropriate for a pastor to love a church, probably. But I love it. Regardless of our flaws. But it is not where we put our trust. We put our trust in God alone. We look to Jesus In his amazing transfigured supernatural glow and in his ability to crash through religious rules to heal the least of these, we look to Jesus who humbled himself and took on flesh because human flesh is holy and beloved and don't you ever believe that it's not. We look to Jesus whose courage and love moved him and who never allowed guilt or shame or the expectations of others to light his way, only the spirit. We look to Jesus, crucified, dead, buried, And beautiful children of God, do not hide the glow in your faces, because even death could not hide the glory and love and life of Jesus. He stomped on it like a tiny bug and rose in glory. We are about to enter the holy time of Lent. The 40 days before Easter that is meant to prepare our hearts and lives to receive the glory of the resurrection. And it's funny how it comes every year, huh? (laughs) Because we don't ever fully get it. We have to keep being reminded. Thanks be to God for God's abundant grace and patience with us. My prayer for this church, for each of us on this journey, is that we might learn to trust God enough to stop hiding and to show the glory of the Lord with our lives. Our risen Lord did not stop with the glow on the mountaintop. That was never his best look, anyway, if he were honest. He intentionally kept his scars from the beatings and the murder to remind us that our scars and wounds and weakness should never make us ashamed. They simply tell the story of where we have been and how good God is. Always and ever demonstrating the glory of God. Church, I love you more than is appropriate for a pastor to love a church. But more importantly than that, God loves you. And you are invited to allow that love to shine right through your lives and right through your faces, even if it offends someone or makes someone uncomfortable, because it's healing. It's beautiful, and it reminds us of the one who implanted love and grace into each of us from the very beginning and invites us into freedom in the Spirit. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's stand and sing together Beautiful Savior. It's hymn number 838.